No, uh, it's uh, it's it's been a week, huh? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, was was the French quiz that we just did was that the easy one or the tough one? That was the easy one. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> and it was hard. Oh god! You did really well, though. You did yeah, really I know, well. but okay. it, it was painful. All right. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of The Numbers. I'm Eric Grenier, joined as always by Philippe J. Fournier. Uh, Philippe, how are you doing this week? Good morning, Eric. It's good to see you. Good to talk to you. I'm glad uh, I'm glad we do, we're doing this this morning. Uh, we have lots to talk about. Uh, lots of it about Quebec, but not only about Quebec. We'll, we'll go around. Uh, uh, there was an upset last night, right? In uh, yes. PEI that I missed because yeah. Wednesday night is my, is my holy night. I play hockey on Wednesday night. Uh, mm. And um, but uh, we'll have to talk about that. And how are you? How how, uh, how are you keeping up? Good. Been a great week. Been enjoying the week. Oh yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So that's nice. Let's keep it going. So we don't have as many <laughs> numbers to talk about this week because uh, there weren't really any voting intentions polls that came out and all this. Uh, but I did want to start about something and talk a little bit about what it kind of means. So. Yesterday, so we record this on Thursdays, yesterday Jagmeet Singh had said that he wants a pharmacare bill by March 1st, and if he doesn't get it, the deal is over. And he was pressed on it, and as we've seen before, he's not going to say that he's going to defeat the government, all this kind of stuff. But my question for you is, <laughs> and maybe we can play this out a little bit, Yeah, is there anything to this, is there anything to take seriously about this threat? Well, the threat is because of they want a full pharmacare program set in place before the next election. I think that's the gist of it, right? I mean, the, the timing of it is interesting because the the liberals did delay uh, that program. Um, but in the numbers, and there, there's been polling about this. Uh, Canadians are not clamoring, are not knocking on doors, are not screaming to have a pharmacare program. It's the NDP that wants it. Um so a lot of people any... have it in their private insurance with their employer. Um, like me, for so instance. I think, I think it's a minority <laughs> of Canadians that actually don't have uh, some sort of pharmacare program. Um, but yeah, so but it, it does seem like primarily the NDP wants to be able to say, we got this, right, going into the next campaign, rather than we have a promise yeah. to implement this. I mean, I don't want to play 4D chess here, but perhaps that... Perhaps the, the, the NDP and Jatmeet Singh are seeing that uh, supporting the Liberals automatically is not good for them, <laughs> is not helping them, even though they could still say in the next campaign that they, uh, they had advances, they had, they had progress uh, working with the Liberals. Uh, I, I, I am not sure how to read this. Uh, obviously, if at some point you can make a threat and if you never... Uh, act on it uh it becomes oh yeah sure okay that's cute yeah. uh and i don't think the ndp wants that um but i what did you make of it because i i i don't think it matters that much right i mean it just means that the automatic support of the liberals will stop but that doesn't mean that it will take down the liberals over the budget uh but what, what did you make of it Eric? yeah well that was exactly what i wanted to kind of talk about because yeah. you have saying who says you would pull out of the deal which to me would largely just take things away because then they wouldn't be able to have that kind of close uh, negotiations be brought into uh, decisions, that kind of thing. But 
he's not committing to defeat the government on the next budget. And so that's really what I'm curious about, what this actually means, practically speaking. Uh, it, does the NDP think that it could get a bit more out of the next budget if they don't have this agreement and they can at least pretend that there's the threat that they could bring them down? Yeah. But then there's also the question of the Bloc Québécois mm-hmm. and what that's right. they would do. Um, now, I heard Blanchet recently talk about how he has voted against every budget that the Liberals have brought forward because uh, he was kind of being defensive uh, against charges that the uh, from Pierre Poilievre that he was supporting the Liberal government. But is he going to want to support the next budget if the NDP decides that they would pull their support? If we take a numbers perspective from this, yeah, do either of those two parties have an incentive to risk an election campaign? No. I mean, I, it's rare that I have a determinate answer like this. The answer is yeah. no. There, there's the Bloc Québécois. I mean, we'll talk about this a bit later. Léger had the, the Québec-only poll, a big sample just in Québec. The Bloc Québécois is at 29%. So it, it's below their, their score of the past two elections. I know on average they're a bit higher than that. Um, the, but there's no certainty. In, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no certainty of gains. I mean, if again, if you want to go back to 40 chess, perhaps, uh, you know, Blanchet is thinking, hmm, a conservative majority government of Pierre Poilievre maybe could help Quebec sovereignty. I think it's a foolish idea that has no precedent. I remember 2005, Bloc Québécois mm-hmm. people say, ah, Stephen Harper in power in Ottawa, we'll see. Sovereignty is going to, you know, it's going to rise up. It didn't happen. Um, it, it, uh, what I wonder, and I'll, I'll push back on this, though, what about... The point of view of the liberals, perhaps they want to say, you know what, the NDP, you know, go go take a hike. <laughs> we'll go we'll go bill by bill and we'll see how it goes. Perhaps we get to this point that neither party really wants to be tied to each other. Um, it's not like the, the the liberal numbers is getting up. We saw uh, we saw a little bump in December that completely vanished. Right? Um, there's no bump for the the NDP. Half the NDP caucuses in BC, the numbers in BC are, well, they fluctuate a lot, but they're not better for the NDP. And the Bloc Québécois is still threading water around 30% mark. So who among these parties have any interest in uh, in going to early election? I, I, I don't see it. If, I w- if the NDP is actually willing to vote against upcoming budgets, that's one thing. If they do that, then that's at least a taking a stand... They can say they stood up for principle, even if it means they end up being, you know, uh, steamrolled by the conservatives in a lot of yeah. the country, and they end up being a small party in a majority government against the conservatives, which is not a good outcome for them. No, but they have that ability to at least stand up at this point and say, you know, we're taking a stand, line in the sand, this is it. But if they end up just pulling their agreement, pulling the agreement. And then end up voting for the budget later on. Yeah. Uh, then the NDP starts to look, I would say, even weaker. Even if yeah. they manage to maybe get something out of the budget, I don't know. But if you think about when Michael Ignatiev, when he was leader, and he was constantly under pressure to defeat the government, bring uh, keep the government in power, Stephen Harper. Yeah. He looked pretty weak because he wasn't willing to bring down the government. The liberals would put a token amount of MPs to go vote against the, uh, the budget or whatever vote was coming up. So that at yeah. least they said they could vote against it, but they didn't put enough to defeat the government. It did not go well. So there's a big risk here, I think, for Jagmeet Singh if he starts to 
you know, saber rattle and then fold. Yeah. Uh, I think that's worse than being, we have an active role in this legislation. Uh, we're keeping the liberals, you know, on track with progressive stuff. And, and aren't you glad we're here? So I'm curious <laughs> to see how this is going to play out. Cause it does seem like, like you said, you can't just keep making a threat and then never following through at some point. It's, it's the boy calls wolf, uh, kind of thing. Yeah. I guess, as you said, in the in the IDF days, I know IDF had other problems, right? We'll agree on that. But the <laughs> the appearance of being weak is one thing. The NDP could say, well, we'll all abstain except for one vote the leader is going to vote against. And then the effect is that the budget passes, right? Um, yeah. Thing is, the Bloc Québécois is in a different position. That It's not in a weak position. It's in I don't really care position. The Bloc Québécois could turn around and say, well, we brought more to Quebec because that's all we care about uh, and uh, work with the liberals on a piece to piece. But I mean, I, I, the, the Bloc Québécois has no incentive to go into an early election, but it would not be disastrous for them unless they have a really bad campaign. So mm-hmm. the, the liberals have two potential dance partners. Uh, and so that's why I, I think the NDP position could be kind of weak. But then again, perhaps we'll be surprised. But it's not like in the past few years, the NDP has uh, surprised us positively on their strategy, right? It's not like they proved to be master strategists in the House of Commons. Um, there's always time, I guess. What would, uh, let's move on to you, it. If you had a bet, if you, yeah. what, if you had a, a bet on what would happen, like what's your impression? If you have a prediction to make, we're just having fun here. Like what mm. would you say will happen? What's the most likely uh, that outcome? They they don't pull out of the agreement, and this goes away in a, in a few weeks. You know, there's also the part where maybe Jagmeet Singh knows that the liberals are going to come forward with something before the end of February, and so is trying to make it seem like he's getting it, right? Tough. That's the yeah. strategy to play. If I was the liberals, I would be a little annoyed at it well, uh, if that's indeed what happens. So we'll see. Of course, uh, you know, that's it's it's kind of... a a risky gamble whenever you do anything like this. But my gut tells me that they will not pull out of the agreement because I don't think that they're willing to vote against the government to defeat it. So then what's the point? You just, I think you just weaken your hand. You have a weak hand right now. You have an even weaker hand if you're not even part of the the team, but you're still, you're still backing the government. I think that's, that's the worst outcome out of all of them. Uh, either be against them or yeah. be a partner and have a, some claim to whatever is being brought forward by the government. So, the uh, what was it again? The Paul Paul Wells rule of Canadian politics that he wrote in McLean's. Yeah. The first one was for any given situation, Canadian politics will tend towards the least exciting possible outcome. Yeah. So I think your prediction is the most likely to occur. I I, I concur, but uh, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Hey, it's going to give us plenty to talk about if. Something happens in it because it's hey. soon, right? The, the the budget is in April, so this is soon. Uh, but the farmer care again, I, I know, I know. I'm not saying that farmer care is not important. That's not at all mm-hmm. what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's the numbers show that it's not a major issue for Canadians, and it would cost a lot of money at a time where the Liberals want to, you know, show Canadians and the Conservatives that they are better economic financial managers. Uh, it's it's a it's a no-win situation for the Liberals, again. 
I, I wanted to talk about uh, a poll that came out and I guess some news. There was a, on Ukraine, there was the Ukraine-Canada yep. uh, free trade agreement that was voted on and the Conservatives voted against it, saying because there's a part of it about uh, carbon taxes in it. Um, regardless of what you know the justification is for it, which seems kind of flimsy um, because the Ukrainians also already have a carbon uh, tax in place and it's part of the part of the negotiation things when it comes to joining the European Union, whatever. Um, <laughs> That's not the point. I did, see, I did see something kind of funny. Though. Okay, so the, the, what started this was the poll, not the voting was what started it, and then Angus Reid Institute did a poll on whether Canadians think that we are doing enough or not doing enough for Ukraine. Uh, and the result that grabbed a lot of headlines that the amount of people who said we're doing too much for Ukraine, too much support to Ukraine has grown to 25% up from 13% in the months after the initial invasion by Russia. And then among conservative supporters, that's where most yeah. of the increase has been. Yeah. And it's 43% of conservative voters who think we're doing too much for Ukraine. When Poiliev was presented with this information in a scrum, I think it was on Wednesday, he said it was because of the carbon tax in the in the free trade agreement. I'm not sure if he was if he misunderstood the question, but the idea that conservative voters uh, think we're doing too much to support Ukraine because of the carbon tax thing, <laughs> free trade agreement, seemed like a bit of a stretch. But uh, it does kind of explain why maybe the conservatives think that they can kind of play both sides on this. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about the poll itself, but do you have right. any initial thoughts on on this issue? The, the, the conservative leader, we should not be surprised that he plays... To both sides because there are both sides in his party there's no major disagreement on ukraine among liberals or ndp there it's not unanimous obviously nothing is but it's there's a there's a broad consensus which doesn't exist among conservatives some of it we know where it's from some of it it's conservatives that watch a lot of american media that watch fox news that were applauding tucker carlson there are minority of conservative uh, movement in this country but they are a vocal one and there's also a fraction of those that have legitimate concern that we're spending a lot of money on this uh there are pro-russians people out there but there are minority it's just that when we hear the announcements of you know millions and billions and then weapons, then at some point, okay, but it's been two years. So there is a legitimate concern. It's just that you have to realize that if you're against Ukraine resisting the Russian invasion, whether you want it or not, that means you're pro-Russia. And you don't want to be pro-Russia for many people. But it's... it's um, it's a tough spot to 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 be in for Pierre Poiliev, but he plays both sides because there are both sides in his party. So, had a lot been... of the uh, Ukrainian yeah. Ukrainian Canadians uh, are largely in ridings that are held by the Conservatives, yeah. but also ones that they win by such massive margins that it probably doesn't matter, even if they lost some of their support over this. So, yeah. um, it, it is a bit of a, a delicate uh, balancing act, I guess. Though, um, you know, if you're playing for the larger group of people. Generally speaking, you know, you would have a more, uh, well, in his public statements, he says he still is very supportive of Ukraine, that they, you know, fighting against Russia and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but it, it does, it, it is opening them up to these, uh, to these attacks from the, the liberals, because as we always say, and we've talked about it a couple of weeks ago, if you're explaining you're losing, it's yeah. a lot easier for the liberals to say they voted against this free trade agreement than for the conservatives to say, no, yeah, yeah, but it was because of, of carbon tax. We actually support Ukraine. Like... That's, even that's, if that was, even if it's a hundred percent true, it, 
it's it's worse than just not having to say that. <laughs> also, right. worth to say, I mean, this agreement was negotiated between nations, right? And it was agreed. Yeah, Ukraine nations. wants it. So it's not... Those who say that Canadian is imposing a carbon tax on Ukraine, I mean, come on there. <laughs> Please. don't. We're not fools. That's not the case at all. Um, but, okay. Uh, you know, the, the Conservative Party is a big coalition in this country. It's, and, it's, uh, well, it's, and it's also it's, a bigger one, right? It's now a bigger one. That's, that's, that's true. Uh, in, when they in were 10 their, points lower in support, uh, it was a much more concentrated kind of group of people. Also, to be fair, though, if the current polls showed what we saw in most of 2021, let's say the liberals are up by six or seven points and the conservatives in the seat projections are just around 120 or something. Uh, I don't think the pressure on Poiliev would be that high. I mean, the, the question would mm. still arise. But now thing is Poiliev is seen as the prime minister in waiting. So that's why those questions are important. Because, OK, if you win a year and a half from now, and the war probably won't be over, uh, then what? <laughs> right? I mean, we're part of NATO. NATO is the, is, it was formed to protect ourselves against, uh, the, well, back then it was the USSR, but you know what, I mean, with mm. Russian aggression. Uh, so if you don't abide by that, I know Ukraine is not part of NATO, but it's still in Europe. I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not an expert on geopolitics, and I don't want to pretend to be one. I'm looking at the numbers right now, and I see I, I see why Poiliev is doing this. The numbers say that you know he don't want to, he doesn't want to lose supporters on, on either side. So the one of the things I wanted to talk about about this poll in particular, as because yep. it got a lot of attention and it also drove a lot of conversation, is that this is a case where it's really important to look at how the questions are posed, the wording, uh, especially since we're talking about the change in support over time. Now, what the Angus Reid Institute has done here, and they've done this in other polls as well, and we can, we can discuss whether this is a good idea or not, is that it's not just asking the question, like, are we doing too much to support Ukraine? Are we not doing enough? They did have a preamble, all right? So I'm going to read you the preamble. Do you Go know ahead. the preamble? I uh, don't think I do. Go ahead. Okay, so well, then we'll see. So this is the preamble to the to question. In the past year, there has been little change in territory on either side as both combatants have dug into their respective positions. The war continues. The Canadian government has provided support to Ukraine throughout the conflict, including more than $2.4 billion in military assistance. The Canadian government has also implemented sanctions against Russian individuals, businesses, and government in response to the invasion. Canada, along with other NATO allies, have pledged moral and practical support for Ukraine against Russia, but as the war drags on, there have been discussions about Canada's role in helping Ukraine. Then they ask how they feel about various uh, elements of support. And then a question is, looking at this another way, do you think Canada has been providing too much support? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The thing is that this preamble is not the same as the preamble that was in the last sets of questions, right? Because the situation was different. What you put in the preamble is going to have an impact on the question. And so it makes it a bit more difficult to compare uh, polls over time. Now, if you agree or disagree with the preamble, that's one thing. The preamble does kind of emphasize that this has been a long war and things don't seem to be changing. Yeah. Which to me might condition a response that say like, yeah, well, if nothing's happening, then uh, why are we bothered? But so I do have a little bit of an issue with that. I'm not saying the preamble is wrong, but it does have an impact on what the answer is going to be to uh, the question. And yeah. when you compare it to the one that was done before, which 
you know, had different numbers, had a different context in terms of how the war was going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, the preamble doesn't, I mean, there's nothing factually wrong with it. No. But it, but it does change the context. Some of people would say, well, the context changes for the poll because the context in the war changed. But again, yeah, when you compare poll results, make sure you have the same wording and the same. I mean, if the, uh, the, 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 the person you are polling is ignorant, that's not your fault. That's, <laughs> that's part of the big sample. Some people do not know what's going on or, or only watch a certain set of news that will give them you know, biased information. Uh, yeah, I... <sighs> See, the thing it, is, yeah, there's a danger in, in asking people their opinion on things they don't know anything about, right? Yeah. So I can see the argument being that we should provide them with some information. But then, you're, I, to me, it's not as much then at that point that you're questioning people's opinions, their pre-existing opinions, but they're saying, here's what the situation is. What do you think of it? Yeah. Which is not an illegitimate way to do it. If you were doing like a focus group, that kind of thing, you want to know what people think. But I, I do think that there is... Uh, there there does need to be a little bit of caution in terms of how we're approaching uh, the numbers in this case, uh, especially, like I said, when comparing it to the previous one. Because the answer to the questions in the context that's provided is completely legitimate, but does it compare to the question that was asked no, last year yeah. or two years ago when the preamble, the explanation of the situation might have been different? So I just wanted to point this out because it got a lot of attention, this poll, but this is probably something that needs to be um, understood and taken into account as well. Also in this poll, if I may, the uh, the, the Angus Institute, so, so what should Ukraine do at this point? And there were three options. Continue fighting until we reclaim all Russian-occupied land, including Crimea. The second option was continue fighting until it reclaims only land Russia has occupied since February 22. And the other one was negotiate for peace now, forfeiting all land Russia currently holds. And that third option, forfeiting basically whatever Russia you know, has won so far, 28% uh, among conservatives. That's the highest. Mm. Uh, it's, it's 11% among liberals, 14% of NDP, 10% among blocs. So three times as much almost. Um, it's also the most popular. It has the plurality of answers among conservatives. Um it's it's a it's a difficult issue thinking that yeah okay if you forfeit territory and land to Russia thinking okay now it's going to peace them they they won't do it anymore they they will stop there um, that's that's why I'm this shows to me the fraction of the CPC that are not septic about Ukraine but that are pro Russia uh, and it, it it's bothersome. Um, but what what can you do? I mean, it's it, you have south of the border. The, the Republicans are trying to block everything they can on the orders of Donald Trump to to not give aid to Ukraine anymore. Um, perhaps I mean, perhaps there's just a bit of confusion there because of that. Um, I think absolutely <laughs> the impact of, of American media oh, is no huge. Yeah. Uh, so I think that you can't ignore that. It's also with the. Uh, the the trans issues that's uh, been raised over the last little while, uh, it is uh, in a large part uh, driven or at least you know amplified by the conversation in the United States. Um, so uh, it, it would be wrong to think that that this issue would be immune to that, right? And um, certainly, 
certainly the Republicans have taken a much stronger kind of anti support for Ukraine. I'm not going to say it's pro Russia or anti Ukraine, but well, yeah. uh, then the conservatives have here. Uh, but that will undoubtedly have an impact on their supporters who are watching a lot of uh, the kind of media that, that Republican supporters in the United States watch. So it's kind of inevitable this is going to happen. But um, it's either you kind of go along with it or you kind of try to mitigate it. You go against it. Um, I guess that'll be the choice we'll see. Increasingly, they're going to have to make that choice over the next couple of years. This is a new Cold War. I mean, it's not, I, it won't take that name, obviously. Hot. But this is a this yeah. is a new Cold War. And the Republicans out of the border tend to lean Russia. So um, it's it, it's a big problem. It was not the case during the, the, the first Cold War. So No. Okay, that's a bit heavy. <laughs> Let's talk yeah. about uh, the uh, Quebec poll because, uh, again, it got a lot of attention. Um, so this was a poll by Leger that came out uh, just a couple days ago. It had 32% support for the Parti Québécois, 25% support for the Coalition Avenir Québec, 16% for Quebec Solidaire, 15% for the Liberals, and 11% for the Quebec Conservatives. So this is the provincial-level numbers. Not a lot of change. It was only a point or two That's, here. I think actually yep. it was just one point for each of the yep. parties since uh, Leger's last in field before Christmas. We talked about the Palace data poll last week. Uh, so there's not a lot of differences here. The CAC a little higher, uh, was the CAQ was a little lower in the Palace poll. Uh, but this does seem to at least confirm that the Parti Québécois gains that it made are, at least for now, they're holding. Yeah, oh, absolutely. The 32% for the Parti Québécois um, is a big jump. Let's, let's recall for our listeners that may not know, the Parti Québécois had 15% of the vote uh, in the election a year and less than a year and a half ago. Uh, so the polls have been climbing slowly. Uh, the optimists would say, well, we were steady now on top. The optimists would say, well, we stopped growing, right? <laughs> but you can't grow by five that. or six points every month. That, that That's not going to happen. The shift has already happened. It happened throughout the, the summer and the fall. And now we see a stabilization of the numbers for the Parti Québécois. For the CAQ, uh, this is a good poll for them. Uh, Palace had 21% for the CEQ. This one has 25%. So you could, you know, split the apple in the middle and say it's it's somewhere maybe 23 or 24. Uh, the CEQ would still lose badly in election if that was the case. Trailing in the Montreal suburbs, trailing in Quebec City, badly in Quebec City, trailing in the regions and trailing again uh, among uh, francophone voters. So this is trailing this, where they have seats, trailing everywhere where they have seats. So they would get crushed. Uh, however, the pressure will be on and we uh, on the Parti Québécois and Paul Saint-Pierre-Pavillon. And we saw this in the media this week. Uh, coming with those polls, the National Assembly has started its winter sitting. And so there will be a lot of questions. Again, like Pierre Poilievre at the federal level, now Paul Saint-Pierre-Pavillon mm. has to look like a future premier. And he will get asked questions like a premier, questions that are not asked to Cabaret Nadeau-Dubois or Éric Duhem or Marc Tanguay. Because he's the one in the lead, in the, and, and uh, he's the one who convinced disappointed CAQ voters to join his fold for now. Um, I don't know. Well, I, as I, you said, uh, yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying. They, they, for me, again, you look at the francophone, the, mm. la, la, la majorité francophone, the 80% of francophones. That if you win that block. Uh, you're really hard to dislodge. <laughs> when you only had, when the Parti Québécois only had one opponent in the Liberals, 
uh, you know, being tied in voting intentions, meaning you win a majority. Uh, the Liberals had to win by many points to, to, to secure uh, a victory, uh, Jean Charest and, and the others. Um, the CAQ still has time, but it will have to change some of its messaging. And I'm, I really wonder whether they will attack Monsieur Plamondon on the sovereignty issue. Because the CAQ yeah. is nationalist, right? That's what they say, we're nationalists. And many people, not the CAQ himself, but many observers says, okay, it's like the PQ without a referendum. Uh, others would say, no, it's like the liberals without the ref- referendum talk or the referendum fear. Um, I'm really curious where they go on this. Or do they just b- decide to be good managers of the economy? Uh, well, the, old, the, the line that the CAQ used before was that, you know, uh, these were chicanes. These were <laughs> fights. They were, you know, and, and Quebecers are, are past that. And... Uh, you know, they're not necessarily wrong because the Leger poll had sovereignty numbers 35% for, 56% against. The Palace data poll had uh, 41% for, and I think 48% against, That's so right. a bit closer. That's right. But you're still talking about most Quebecers, or at least the most Quebecers, yeah. uh, being against sovereignty. And the numbers really, for really talking about the last 20 years, have always been around these, right? Yeah. So we're not seeing this increase for um, support for sovereignty. But you mentioned questions that Saint-Pierre Plamondon is getting asked. One of them was this this week, whether he would hold a referendum, even if he didn't win a majority. Uh, and he said that he would put forward the legislation to have a referendum. And then if it passes, it passes. So yeah. the intent is that if the Parti Québécois does win, that there will be at least an attempt to have a referendum in a first mandate. Uh, and whether or not it can win with these numbers, like when uh, there were times ahead of the 95 referendum where the numbers weren't that dissimilar, there was times ahead of the 1980 referendum where the numbers were a lot worse uh, and they ended up getting 40% then. So just because it's low now doesn't mean that it will stay low in the midst of a campaign. Obviously, they would have to do a lot of work to get the number up to 50, but it doesn't oh, yeah. necessarily mean that, 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 that they're off. So if you're in the rest of the country, you know, the next five years, not five years, but I guess the next election is 2026. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. five years, next seven years, at least. Yeah. yeah. There could be a referendum. Yeah. And we're at the, uh, the era of social media, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and this is a big change because, uh, just looking at uh, the, uh, the the MP for Jonquière, uh, Alexis Brunel Duceppe, the son of Gilles Duceppe, uh, is just retweeting and quote tweeting trolls from the West that say Quebecers, you want to leave because you know you're just mm. uh, you're just sucking up this country dry. And uh, we know these okay, there are people that think like that. We know that, but it wasn't amplified in '95. <laughs> yeah. So well, there was was it wasn't '95 or '1980. I can't remember where there was. A video of people in Brockville, yeah, but stepping uh, on the flag, stamping yeah, it on it, and burning Quebec flag, and it was a big yeah. deal. It was a big deal, yeah. That's going to be a daily occurrence. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, it, uh, yeah. I think as we grow into this social media era, I think a lot of people are getting immune to that. But the conversation mm. online will be uh, will be unbearable. But I guess that's 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 part of. I mean, Brexit in the uh, in Europe was kind of the same deal, right? There was a lot of insults thrown around, free insults from trolls, and now we know there's been Russian disinformation, and there are countries that would pretty would like to see Canada being dismantled. And I'm not saying it's... I mean, 
I know some sovereignists are listening to me right now and go like, hey, hang on, that's not why we want to do sovereignty. I, I know there are entirely legitimate reasons <laughs> to promote Quebec sovereignty, and many of them will be brought to the fold in a campaign. We'll get, I mean, we'll cross the bridge when we get there, but if it we is, get there, yeah. I mean, if the PQ was polling at 19% right now, we would not be talking about this, but they're polling at yeah. 32, and the CEQ is in, is in trouble. They didn't have a great week last week, the CEQ. They talked about party financing. They haven't had great weeks in a while. It's been, it's been quite a while, right? And what do you think we're going to talk about in the fall? The Los Angeles Kings are going to come for their practice runs. Uh, against the Florida Panthers, gives a you know whatever, and uh, <laughs> it's going to come back uh, to the to the, the forefront. So anyway, uh, the sovereignty numbers. I wanted to to uh, to to ask you. So thirty five percent four in the Leger poll, forty one percent four in the Palace poll. Now, when I saw the numbers from Palace, I must say they made me a bit uncomfortable. Because it's a random sample, and when you look at the subsample, everything is mostly in line with what we've seen, except for the young voters. The young vote is a small sample because it's really hard to get young people to answer polls on the phone. Uh, it's a small sample, but it's three polls right now, uh, consecutive polls from Palace Dada in September, in November, and now in January, that all showed that young voters in Quebec are on average, more sovereignists than the, the, the average voter. And Leger shows the exact opposite. Uh, and I, I, have the numbers, I have the numbers here. In the Leger poll, uh, young voters, 33% for, 58 against. <laughs> In Palace, it's 47 for, 41 against. <sighs> Small sample, but still, those are, those, this is a big gap. And we, it, I, I'm guessing it's because of the mode, right? The the, the polling mode. Uh, I'm not sure what to do with this. Um, and historically, it's been a long kind of running thing that the Parti Québécois and the sovereignty movement uh, has been struggling because it hasn't been uh, reverberating, hasn't been uh, reaching young voters. Yeah. And there's been the talk that it was a project of a generation, the generation of the baby boomers and the yep. people who voted for Levesque and and, uh, and Parizeau. Um, so if if this is a, a newer development that younger voters are starting to become a bit more sovereignist, then that would have a huge impact, I think, uh, because then the notion for the Parti Québécois that with every day that passes, the chances of, of winning a referendum get worse yeah. start to become less less true. Uh, but because it's something that goes against the historical trend, it does make you wonder and raise an eyebrow about whether these are are really the case. Now, if it wasn't, then, you know, we're talking about sovereignty numbers again in the mid-30s. So it's not yeah. a huge difference, 41 and, say, 35, 36, 37. Yeah. Um, but it does it does change a bit of the the dynamic, the conversation, if sovereignty is over 40% and if it's under 40%. It does, yeah. I mean, even though it's one reasonable person in numbers who could say, well, okay, Leger said 35 and Palace says 41. Okay, let's agree on 37, right? Yeah. It's, it's just, it still bugs me. Because also, to go back to that Leger poll, uh, so the voting intentions between the two polls are almost identical, right? Mm-hmm. And Leger in his, in his, uh, in his uh, young voters sample has the Parti Québécois going up 
Euh, Québec solidaire est still in first place, leading by 9 points, a young Mon voters. Le Parti québécois est second, so it's 36 to 27. The previous Léger poll, uh, Québec solidaire was leading by 17 uh, over the Parti québécois. So in the same poll, Léger sees a rise of support for the Parti québécois among young voters, doesn't see movement uh, for sovereignty among none. So... This tells you something. That's why the sovereignty question in, in a Quebec poll is so important because it, ex it helps you explain the dynamics. It's, it's not linear, right? So, mm. and well, because again, if you look at the, the Parti Québécois and Quebec Solidaire, two sovereignist parties, yeah. uh, have majority support among young voters. But we know that a lot of Quebec Solidaire voters are primarily progressives yep. first and sovereignists second, if at all, right? So... Some of these numbers kind of match up, but then they kind of don't. And, and if you're doing Venn diagrams of it all, it would be a complicated kind of graph, oh, right? Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, Quebec solidaire, are you, uh, if a referendum uh, on Quebec sovereignty occurred, would you vote for or against? For 38, uh, 32, sorry. For mm. 32, against 59. Which Less means, than the population as a whole. I, yeah, so Quebec solidaire voters as a whole would be a bit less sovereignist than the average Quebec voter. Uh, if you say it's a small sample, you're right. It's only 162 Quebec Solidaire voters answer this, but this is something we've seen in every poll, yeah. <laughs> that Quebec Solidaire voters are split, and usually the split tend to leans, uh, tends, tends to lean towards the, the, the against sovereignty. So um, very, very interesting dynamics. I mean, it's not going to be a boring cycle in Quebec politics for all those reasons. Um, and the Parti Québécois, if... Okay, so in Léger, sees 32% for the Parti Québécois and sovereignty at 35%. That's close to a ceiling. You know, it's enough to win mm -hmm. an election, especially with five parties and double digits, but that's close to a ceiling. Uh, it'll be very interesting. I'll up update my Quebec projection. It won't change much. The CAQ will go up a bit um, because of that Léger poll, but I'll do that in, uh, or before the weekend. All right, let's move to uh, another province, Prince Edward Island. Yeah, hey, what happened? Earth-shattering <laughs> by-election results. I'm sure you heard about it. Uh, this did. is in the riding of Borden Kincora, which if you've been to PEI, you've probably been to, because this is where the bridge uh, goes. So, you know, if you take the bridge <laughs> to go to PEI, you've driven through this riding. So Borden Kincora, this was a riding that was held by Jamie Foxx, who was a... Uh, a well-known comedian. He's been in lots of movies. No, he was a cabinet minister in Dennis <laughs> King's PC government. And he wants to run. He's going to run. He's, he'll be the conservative candidate federally in Malpec. So he resigned his seat. He has held it since 2015. He won it by huge margin in the last election. The Greens won this yeah. seat. Matt McFarlane of the Greens, who has been the candidate now, I think, for at least uh, two elections, if not more, won 49% of the vote. Turnout was pretty high. It was like 59%. And they had a wow. massive snowstorm. So big That's that it was true, the, huh? the by-election was delayed twice. So Islanders, good credit to you. Go out and out to vote. Love it. 49% for Matt McFarlane. 39% for the PCs. 11% for the Liberals. Uh, it was a swing of oh, about 35, 36 points no. from the PCs to the Greens. Gives the Greens three seats in the legislature, the same number as the Liberals. There could be a fight for the official opposition role. Probably goes to the incumbent, which is the Liberals. But uh, and the Greens are, are killing it in by-elections. 
So this, how shocking was this on a scale from, let's say, one to ten? Like, is this because I don't want to minimize here. Uh, you called me a snob in text messages, right? <laughs> I think it was big city snob. <laughs> uh, Montreal. How big is this, though? Because this this is a massive surprise. I see the the, the progressive conservative number in the general election. So uh, mm. you said it was a big swing in percentage, but in actual votes, so it, it was seventeen hundred votes, and uh, the progressive conservative candidate had just over uh, under a thousand. So that's still a pretty big. Uh, fall for the mm-hmm. for the conservatives the greens went from uh 995 votes in a general to 1200 in a in a, in a by-election so you increase your total vote count in absolute numbers for a by-election that's pretty good but i'm glad i didn't do a projection for this because i would not have i mean the general polls that we saw in pei i know we only have narrative research have they shown a green no. surge anywhere? No, we we know. No, so this no, is a no. this is a hyper local effect, right? Yeah. Well, if you uh, if if any of you were uh, listening or watching to the podcast I did last week, we talked about this by election. Yeah. yeah. Um, and healthcare, right? as we know, is a big issue everywhere, and it's especially become a big issue in in PI. So it's possible that this was a little bit of a protest vote against the Dennis King government and. Um, whether they've delivered or not on the healthcare files. So uh, I find there's a few lessons here. And one of the one of the things that is surprising is that this is an in, a government that's in place. Now, we know that incumbent governments can stru- uh, have difficulties in by-elections, but generally in Atlantic Canada, the history has been hmm. it's good to be on the side of the government, right? Yeah. And voters here decided they wanted to be on the opposition, and they voted for the Greens, who are, uh, you know, a, a viable party in in Prince Edward Island. They finished second in the vote in the last election. Uh, But it's just interesting that the Greens are able to kind of organize their way to winning by-elections, putting lots of resources into it, getting candidates who are at least well-known or run on several occasions, as this uh, Matt McFarlane has, uh, and that the healthcare file can be really really dangerous for an incumbent government if you're seen to not be taking it seriously. We saw this in Manitoba in the last election. We saw this in Nova Scotia back in 2021. Hmm. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's an, it's a, I know it's a, t- a little by-election in a, a small province, but there's still lessons that uh, oh, yeah. I think are, are there for other parties. So it, it's an interesting outcome. Now, the next election in PI is not until 2027. So this isn't having an impact there, but... But anyway, it's uh, it's a surprising result uh, that there was a swing this strong towards oh, yeah. a small opposition party, right? So, although we have to say something, yeah, the liberals did have a good swing too. They went from zero to eleven percent. <laughs> they didn't have a they didn't have a candidate. They didn't have a candidate next time. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like an infinity increase. <laughs> the percentage increase there was like uncal. You can't calculate it. It's so it's so amazing. So, question for you, and I saw you tweeted about this. Um, okay, official opposition in mm. Quebec. I remember the 2018 election. Both the Parti Québécois oh, yeah, and true. Quebec Solidaire had 10 seats apiece. It was not for official opposition, but for third party status. Yeah. And the um, uh, the National Assembly stated that well, the tiebreaker is the vote in a general election. So. For a little while, the Parti Québécois was the third party. Now, of course, they lost uh, an MNA during the mandate, so they became the fourth party. 
Um, so how does it how does it work here? Because the PCs yeah, are that's, government. That's the question. And yeah. now you have three Greens and three Liberals. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. There's been uh, several cases of this happening in the past, and so um, I had found it. Someone else had done the research on it. I can't remember the person's name. I think it was Borden or, or something like that. Uh, so my apologies, but. Um, so there was a case that's happened in New Brunswick, and uh, there are two parties. Uh, the Confederation of Regions Party kept on losing MLAs, and so at some point they were tied with the others, and the Speaker ruled that incumbency mattered there. So the Confederation oh. of Regions was the, uh, was the opposition, so it remained the opposition. There's been some other cases where that has been the decision of the Speaker, uh, but there are some other cases where there's a case in Saskatchewan, I think in the 70s, where the Liberals and the Conservatives had the same number of seats, and they gave both party leaders the role of official opposition. Okay. Uh, in Yukon, this happened after an election, and I think they made the same decision that they did in Quebec, where it was based on popular vote. Yeah. Uh, and there was a case in Alberta where it was there was two independents and two New Democrats, and they went to the New Democrats because they got the more of the vote. But it does seem like the recent precedent over the last couple of decades has been incumbency. So I think that the Liberals will probably end up being the official opposition, but this will be up to the speaker. There isn't like a rule. It'll be up to the speaker to decide. Very interesting. Seriously. But good for the Greens. I mean, they, they, that that's two by-election wins in a calendar year so far. Um, They'll, they'll take this trend continues. Oh, well, there you go. All right, Are let's we... get to some questions. Yeah, questions, mailbag. You want to take it? Uh, do go yeah. first, uh, my friend. Uh, we got we got quite a few as usual. So we ask uh, questions for members of our Patreon on Discord and on Patreon. So this is how uh, we have these questions, and you get our exclusive episodes as well. We had one last week. If you missed it, then uh, you can join the Patreon at thenumberspod.ca, and you can listen to it and the one that we'll have next week. So uh, we'll start with some federal questions. We got this from from Joey from the Block on Discord. Uh, and he was saying people to keep talking about the conservative advantage in fundraising, but what's the actual effect of their spending on polling and results? Yeah, we talked about this last week with the massive, massive numbers yeah. for the conservatives. I think it was $35 million, uh, yep. in So uh, what do you think? Well, I think there are... So there's two different things. I wrote about it on my uh, newsletter this week. But uh, first of all, if you have eyes and ears and you see things, you can see that the conservatives have ads running on TV <laughs> in places, and the liberals don't. Yeah, Probably because the conservatives have money, and the liberals don't. If you go on Facebook, Facebook has the ability to look at uh, ads that organizations are running. Hmm. So you can see that the conservatives and the Pierre Poiliev uh, Facebook page are currently running somewhere around 430 ads, I think it was. And when I went through all the... Um, the numbers, because Facebook shows the range of money that's been spent on them, probably talking somewhere around $250,000 wow. on these ads that are currently running. If you go to the Liberal page and Justin Trudeau's page, the number of ads are somewhere in the 200s. So they're running about half as many ads. And the spend on them is far lower. It might be around $25,000. Mm. So you have that the conservatives are able to have twice as many ads running on Facebook and spending about 10 times as 10 much money one. on it. Whether that's just a Facebook thing, who knows? Maybe the liberals decide that they don't want, they don't like Facebook. I don't know. But 
if this is being replicated elsewhere on YouTube, on Twitter, on uh, Google, yeah. places like that, that's a huge advantage. And when the conservatives made their big gains last summer, they coincided with their big TV ad buy. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So correlation is not causation, but uh, I mean, the evidence seems to suggest that it's at the very least not hurting. Question from Pierre Olivier in a Discord. Because of the game Poirier is playing, does it make him more susceptible to Bernier during elections? I'm not sure the wording of the wording of the question here, but I mean, is there? I'd is, asked. I'd asked for some clarification on it. So oh, you this did? is okay. so. Yeah. So this is what he said because I didn't quite understand it enough. But he said he said since Poilievre is uh, adopting and kind of normalizing some of the positions that the PPC had in the last election, is he? Uh, as we say, increasing the Overton window to issues yeah. that make uh, discussing things that, you know, the PPC might have discussed in the last election more normal, which then makes it easier for the PPC to get a hearing. I thought it was an interesting idea. The The, the Overton window is the idea that yeah. um, if we if the uh, the public's views on issues are shifted, then uh, the public is willing to consider more extreme ideas than they might have been in the past. So yeah. I thought it was just an interesting idea. The, the fact that Pierre Poiliev has been going after the PPC vote uh, and has been successful at it, does it make the PPC more acceptable for voters who in the past might have thought that it wasn't? Yeah, the widening or the shifting of the Overton window. Uh, the thing is, it's 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 never... For for many conservative voters, let's say 2021, Maxime Bernier was a bit out there, but he was not as much as unacceptable. I think Maxime Bernier is unacceptable for many people you know, on, on the broad left, right? Um, so shifting maybe within his own party, maybe a little bit. Uh, the thing is, let's recall, the PPC had just under 5% of the vote. That's not a big share of the pie. And it did not matter much because the PPC had most votes where the conservatives were already dominating. Uh, but it's still, it's a good question. I am not sure of that answer. I'm not sure what to answer. I think we'll, in hindsight, it will be easier to to answer this. Um, but I don't think, the thing is, Maxime Bernier has vanished right from from the public yeah. view uh he, he's online uh, tweeting his stuff uh and he's still i mean we saw the fundraising number he's, they're doing okay right but it's not like he's driving much agenda and pierre poiliev as you know as we saw uh it's not that he he, he took uh policies from the ppc but he took a, a bit of his the attitude right the in your yes. face attitude yeah. and that resonates with many voters that are tired of government. This attitude would not have worked in 2017, for instance, right? Uh, you know, Justin Trudeau won power with a uh, sunny ways and optimistic attitude. Uh, I'm not sure he can win in 2025 with this, unless the, the economy magically becomes much better for everybody. But uh, that's yeah. another question. Interesting. Yeah. I think I think my answer would be that it technically, theoretically, it will. But I think it, the actual impact is that it makes the PPC less relevant. Um, yeah yeah because if yeah so i i think in the end it would require that the, the conservative campaign collapse or something like that for it to help P, uh, the ppc i think the more likely outcome is that the ppc ends up getting squeezed entirely um how about uh 
we move, well, we kind of already t- discussed it in Quebec. So let's move to Alberta, which I thought was funny because I had this conversation with someone actually. Um, <laughs> and then she. Oh, huh? I, didn't re- re- I didn't record who asked this question. My apologies. I just have the question in front of me. So anyway, Nahid Nenshi for the Alberta NDP leadership. He says, smoke and mirrors, or is there something about it? Is Nahid Nenshi the Denis Kader of the West? That is so unfair. Come on. The Bernard Lord, maybe? The Frank McKenna, if uh, you want to go back even further? The Mark Carney? Nahid Nenshi won seven. How many elections did he win? Was it it three? Three? Four? Yeah. Yeah? It was three. And it was recent. I mean, so so come on. Denis Kader hasn't won anything in in a decade. Uh, And don't. Please don't. I, 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 I sound like such a Denikadai hater. I am not. I'm just, you know, looking at the numbers and I don't understand why the, what the buzz is about. Uh, Nahid Nenshi, I mean, is he still relevant in Alberta politics? From what I've read and heard, I follow the podcast in, in Alberta. I follow the news in Alberta. I think he's still very much relevant. Uh, mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, the NDP we know has to grow in Calgary to win an election. No choice. Can a former mayor, a successful mayor, I would say. I mean, I know a lot of people dislike him, but you look at the record. It's not that he could die again, right? It's not that he could die. Uh, He won. He didn't lose. He didn't lose. uh, And I think he never lost, right? He left before. No, no, no. He just didn't run again in uh, 2021 or whenever it was. So then he decided to lost badly and then decided to go, you know what? I'm going to go back in politics and lost even badlier or whatever. So. Yeah, uh, I think it's interesting, though, if he'll run uh, like he always had this nonpartisan approach, like purple was always the color he adopted combination yeah. of, of, you know, liberal and, and conservative. And I just wonder how many new Democrats are really going to see him as being one of them. Right. And uh, he might excite some people, but he he wouldn't have a huge amount of time to sign up members. So I think true. he would be up against it a little bit. But if he gets in, that'll that'll certainly get national attention. He and she is a national figure i would say he's oh, been on lots of pro you know uh shows and stuff like that whereas the candidates who we're already hearing are getting into the race sarah hoffman kathleen ganley people like that not known outside of alberta so whether that matters or not doesn't matter i guess but um you know it'll 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 people will start talking about it if he gets in the race and it's gonna make the debates there oh and like yeah and he's a good very interesting. he's a good debater too oh yes he's a very he smart guy all right. Uh, let's finish on this. I thought this was a funny one and an interesting one. John202 on the Discord. What current provincial party, if directly <laughs> exported to the federal level in its current iteration ideology, would be the most electorally successful? <laughs> I have a few answers. Uh, well, I'm not I even think, sure what my answers are. Well, I don't really have. Well, there's one pretty obvious one that's already done it. The Parti Québécois exported himself in Ottawa and the Bloc Québécois and then boom, became right. the official opposition in their first election and have, I mean, they had troubles in 2011 and 2015 but have had a, a plurality or a majority of the seats in Quebec for many elections. None the, none the latest ones. Uh, I, I, I think it would be the Ontario PC, I guess, right? Yeah, that it's, was my thought, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, the PCs, uh, since, uh, since Mike Harris came into the scene, the PCs have never had under 30% of the vote, unless I'm saying this. No, they've never had less than 30% no, no, of no. in general election. Uh, they always perform well. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, not the UCP, uh, not the Saskatchewan party, uh, no offense to them, um, I would guess it would be. 
I mean, four years ago, I would have said the Quebec Liberals are just, you know, they are, are a machine, but now that's not the case anymore. Um, but yeah, the Parti Québécois and the Bloc Québécois, cousins. That's, not, that's my answer. The one thing, I, like I was thinking about, you know, you think of the Ontario PCs, maybe the, you know, the Nova Scotia PCs, parties mm -hmm. that are kind of those red Tory, moderate parties, and how that should be a, a recipe for success. But the Conservatives under Poiliev are scoring over 40% in polls, and they're a, not a red Tory party, so no. maybe... Yeah, they're not in power Maybe either. the Conservatives right now are the are the, the answer, uh, hmm. that they are the ones who have, have at least the, for the time being, the recipe uh, <laughs> in place for doing well. Huh. Are you ready for your quiz? Well, okay. So, uh, no, I'm not because you didn't tell me anything You're about the quiz, <laughs> right? I told I, you it was provincial premiers. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that really helps, right? Oh, the, the theme, Philippe, is elections. Um, I, I'm not ready for the quiz, Politics. but I'm ready to be humiliated. So okay. uh, let's, let's, let's I did not it. design this quiz for you. <laughs> I'll have to be honest. So I'm not expecting you to do that well. Who okay? did you design it to? For. Our audience, our oh, listeners okay. from around the country who will know the answers to some of these, whether you do or not. That's so I'm hoping that at the very least, this could be interesting to, for the audience. And I've tried to make sure that for some of the answers, there's at least a little thing that you can, you can take home, that you learn a little bit about what the answers are. So <laughs> we, are, uh, we are looking for the longest serving premiers in the country, in okay. history. So I'm going to give you the province. You tell me who was the longest serving premier of that province. If you get the first person, you get three points. And then you can name if you want. You can try to name the second and the third. And I'll give you two points for the second, one point for the, for the third. If you name one of them who was second or third, I'll give you points for them. But you, then you're done for that province. Okay? okay. Okay. So if you can name in order, first, second, third, you can get six points per province. If you can just name a random premier and you think maybe they're a top one, you can still get some points. Now, this is going to be tough. There are 60 points you could get. <laughs> but because I ran it and I tried to guess, how, how, how well could Philip do? I'm going to say that if you get 15 points, you will have passed. You will have one. If you get 10, you'll get a pass. Point of order. Mm -hmm. The longest serving premiers. Does it yes. have to be consecutive? Or it's just uh, no, the just total the time years. in office? Total, yeah, time, total in time in office. Okay. Because there's been some comebacks, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for listeners, get your pens out and see how well you can do, because I'm curious to know how, how well many of you can do. All right. So we're going to start from smallest province to biggest province. Oh, God. Okay. Prince Edward Island. Who was the longest serving premier of Prince Edward Island? <laughs> and again, if you, if you can just name one and he's one of the top three... I'll give you some points for that. Do I get to... Okay, so... Okay. Uh, as, a, as a small, small, fair hint, could you at least give me a range? Like, was it 25 years or was it nine years? Or is, sure. that, is that fair right. to ask? So how yeah. long was the longest premier of PI in power? The longest serving premier in PI was in power for 12 years. Okay. Which means it wasn't recent. Um, okay. I don't think I can go f much further back than my lifetime. And I don't think that 12 years was in my lifetime. 
So, um, I'm going to say, hang on, 12 years? That's a long time. Okay, I'm going to go with the ones I know. Uh, I'm sure if it's like a few years after Confederation, which it probably is, I don't know. I'm going to say Pat Bins. I think he was there for a decade. Is that hey, the... he was second. He was second? Okay. You got you got two points out of that. That's not too bad. But but so I, the... I, I have to stop here. Yeah, okay. yeah now you're done. Yeah, you got to get it right. <laughs> so the longest serving Premier was Alexander Campbell, who served from 1966 to 1978. He was oh. only 32 when he was elected. Pat wow. Bins was second, and William Wilfred Sullivan, who was there in the 19th century, was third. Okay, two points out of PEI. Not too bad. I didn't think you'd get any points out of PEI. Well, he, 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 a lifetime, again. I, I, don't, I yeah. don't know the, the 30s in PEI. Sorry. Sorry, Islanders. Newfoundland and Labrador. Okay. Now, there's fewer premiers, only in Confederation in 1949. Who was the longest-serving premier in Newfoundland and Labrador's history? He was there for 23 years. <sighs> 23 years? Really? Um, okay, <laughs> that's not the one I thought then. <laughs> but hang on, Newfoundland and Labrador had premiers before Confederation. We're just doing yes, not Confederation, but provincial joining Confederation. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, I I don't know. Um, I, I, Twenty-three years—that is a long. That has to be among the longest in the country. Yes, I mean, that is. has to be up there, right? Yeah. Um, okay, I know it's not him, but I'm hoping he's in the top three because he was there for a decade. I'm going to say Danny Williams. No, the longest serving was Joey Smallwood, who brought Newfoundland Labrador into confederation. Uh, and huh. here's a little point. In his first six elections, he won 182 of 212 seats, 86% of the seats. So he dominated the province wow. from 1949 to 1972. The other two were Brian Peckford and Frank Moores, who were in the 70s and 80s. So that's zero points for Newfoundland and Labrador. Okay, wow. Six elections he won? Wow. That's six yeah. well, he won a seventh. Or, no, I think wow. he won just the six. He had one last election where he was like one seat up on the other, and he, end, and he ended up losing, uh, getting booted out. Okay, New Brunswick. Wow, okay. New Brunswick. The longest-serving premier in New Brunswick was there for 17 years. 17 years. Well, I'm not sure if he was there for 17 years, but I know he was there for a long time. The um, thing is, again, I, I, if it's before, much before my lifetime, I won't know. Uh, but the one that I know is uh, was Hatfield. Hatfield. Is that that is, is that correct. It? Richard Hatfield really? was wow. there for 17 years from 1970 to 1987. Uh, he was very important in getting equality between French and English in New Brunswick, but led the party to a shutout in 1987. He was the one who led the PCs to that 57-0 victory or loss. Wait, wasn't that Frank McKenna? He was the one who won. Hatfield was the one who got creamed. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Hatfield got right. zero. Oh, my God. Yes, he got zero. Well, Can well, you name the other two? No, I can't. Uh, I don't think you can either. No, but this is uh, Andrew Blair. Andrew oh, Blair, I, I, who was nineteenth century. I was gonna get. I was gonna guess oh, McKenna. Yeah. McKenna was there for a decade. That's that, that's does no, no, a no, decade fit in the top three? No, okay. McKenna then I don't. Was one of, no. Then I don't. It was Andrew Blair, who was there in the nineteenth century, and John McNair, who was there around World War Two. Okay. Nova Scotia. <sighs> I, yeah. Twenty-six years. Oh, the God. longest serving premier in Canadian history. A record holder for all premiers, prime ministers. 26 years, Nova 26 Scotia. 26 years. Was that consecutive? That's, that's, that's I think it was, nuts. yeah. 
Oh my god. Quarter century, huh? <sighs> okay. I don't know. Um, so I'm gonna tr go for second and third place here. I don't know many Nova Scotia. I know, I know um, who was there during the patriation of the Constitution. Was, uh, I'm going to say Buchanan, but I know it's not him in the first place, but I'm going to say he's the top three. Well, it's a Scottish name. It, might, it was a good guess, but no. no? George Murray was the longest serving uh, premier. He was there from 1896 to 1923. The other two were Angus L. MacDonald and William S. Fielding. Zero points. Oh, Scotia. yeah, Fielding. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Saskatchewan. What? Wait, hang on though. though. Okay, so I'm, we're mm -hmm. out of the Atlantic Canada. How, what's my score yes. now? What's my You're score? at five points. Five points. And I said you need 15 to win. Okay. Not too bad. I, okay. I wasn't sure if you'd get any points in Atlantic Canada. Okay. I thought maybe you'd get Hatfield. Okay. Saskatchewan. Longest serving premier, 17 years. I mean, it has to be Tommy Douglas. Douglas. I mean, and it was Tommy Douglas. Five, five, uh, five majorities, right? 1944 to 1961, obviously first uh, kind of socialist government in North America and uh, universal health care program brought in during his time. Now, can you name the other two? Probably not. Um, I'm going to try. I think, hang on. Um, Radwall was there for a decade. So was Roy Romano. But a decade is not that long. I mean, they tend to go with dynasties over there, right? Um... Um, again, I'm thinking about the patriation of the Constitution. I'm going to... Um, what's his name? Uh, if I'm wrong, I, I can't... Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give me a name. Give me a name. Um, okay, I'm going to go with Grant Devine. No. It was no? Walter Scott who was second. He was their first premier. And Alan Blakeney. Alan Blakeney, I knew him. It was just before yes. Divine. Okay, really? All was right. there longer? Divine was yeah. was there for more than a decade, wasn't he? Okay, and right. he was there for maybe ten years, but Blakeney was there for eleven. Okay, whatever. Manitoba, <laughs> longest serving premier in Manitoba, was there for twenty years. No, and Manitoba is an old province. Was in the fifth to join? It was right. Eighteen seventy. Yeah. yeah, was the fifth. Yeah. yeah. 20 years no idea like politicians don't last 20 years oh nice Scott will make me get there so eventually <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay I don't know the first place so I'm gonna shoot for second place or third um, I mean we <laughs> we had a quiz <laughs> about who had the most seats and Gary Dewar was there for a long time I think he was there for a decade I'm gonna say it was Gary Dewar in the top three he was not. He ah, goddammit. <laughs> Longest serving premier was John Bracken. He was there from 1922 to 1943. He's the reason that the wow. progressive conservatives have the name progressive. He was a progressive premier, oh. and he had that as his condition for becoming the national conservative leader. The other two were Rodman Roblin and Thomas Greenway. These are both over 100 years ago. I didn't think you'd get them. Yeah, I, I, if our listeners uh, scream at me, uh, come on, give me a break from Manitoba. Okay, all right. Okay, so you Ooh, only need two more points to pass. You're seven points short to win. Alberta, longest-serving premier, 25 years. 25? Well, okay. Damn, they stayed a long time. Okay, um, 
Well, that's okay. So it's not Peter Lougheed. Although I would think Lougheed would be in a top three, but I'm not saying Peter Lougheed. Um, I'm gonna twenty uh, five. I didn't think it was that. I'm gonna say Manning. Correct. Ernest Manning, 1943 right. to 1968. Wasn't sure about the first name. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, okay, Can you name Manning. number two? I can't. Uh, but I'm... The thing is, those early governments... I'm going to say Peter Lougheed. Was he second It was third? Peter Lougheed. Really? All right. to 1985. Can you get a sweep? Can you get six points? Who was third? was Ralph Klein in power he was there for a long time huh? um, but less than uh, okay I'm gonna say I'm, I'm gonna say Ralph Klein and that is correct Ralph oh Klein, my god really <laughs> perfect score <laughs> Philip you're at 14 points you have passed wow and you're very close to being able to win alright we're gonna go through these the last one I British can't believe Columbia. I got this right okay British Columbia Premier was there for 20 years I have no idea I'm sorry British Columbia is for me is uh, 20 years um Again, I'm going to shoot for second or third place, and I'm probably not going to get it. Um, I mean, a 70s... Bennett? Was it Bennett? You're going to have to be a bit more specific. Oh, there's more than one Bennett? The Bennett in the 70s. <laughs> William? I will accept... Bill Bennett, Well, actually, right? you have to be even more specific than that. Go get out of here, really? Yeah, it was father and son. Okay, father. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like saying Daniel Johnson in Quebec, right? Although neither yeah. of those lasted very long. Uh, oh, fa- father. I don't know. Uh, I will give you. Uh, I'll, I will give you a half point for that. Ah. It was the father, W. A. C. Bennett, who was there from 1952 to 1972. Uh, he was. The but first he's not the longest, leader. though. He's not the longest, is he? He was 20. Years he was the longest. Wow. W. A. C. Bennett or Wack Bennett. Wow. Wacky Bennett. Okay. Can you name number two or number three? No, uh, but I'm going to say gonna, the, uh, I, I'm say Bennett's son. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm not going to give you that. That's, that's too easy now. <laughs> Second was Richard McBride, and third was Bill Bennett. And oh. see, W.A.C. Bennett was there from 52 to 72, and Bill Bennett from 75 to 86. Huh. Uh, so you have passed. You're at 15 and a half points. Wow. So let's see if we can run up the numbers in these last two provinces, which you... We'll do well in at least should, one of them. Shouldn't know. Yeah, okay. Quebec. 18 Quebec. years, longest-serving premier. It would be Maurice Duplessis. That is correct. 1936 to 1939, and then 1944 to 1959. Second and he and had third. to He had to die, too. too. Yeah, they had to, to, yeah, to die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the second... Thing is, Quebec had a lot of premiers in the 1800s. Unlike, I don't think there's. I mean, 18 is the longest. With so I, I don't think it's one of the early ones. Tacho um, was there forever. I'm gonna say the second one. I'm gonna say Louis Alexandre Tacho. And it was Louis Alexandre Tacho, 1920, 1936. Can you run the table and get the third? That's so. That's 16 years, right? That's 16 years. I mean, Robert Bourassa won four majorities, so that should be 16. Yeah, I mean, he won in, won in 70. No, 
Wait, yeah. Well, now, now still he cut a little reaction, so that would be 70 to 76. That's six years. Then one in 85, and he quit in 92. I'm gonna say Robert Bourassa. It was Lomar nope. Gouin. Lomar Gouin just just before years. that show. Okay. I did right. better in I, half points. I did better in Alberta than I did in Quebec. That's yeah, uh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, I'm Ontario. Not gonna, I'm not. I'm not gonna, Ontario. I'm not Twenty-three gonna years, longest-serving premier in Ontario. I will be impressed if you know this one. I won't. I'm gonna shoot for second and third place. Twenty-three years. Okay, so it's not any of the recent ones. Not even close. I mean, McGinty did, I mean, won three elections, but that's like 10 years, so it's not even close. Um, it's not Frank Miller, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm just going back in my head. Uh, okay, so I, uh, how long did you say? 23 years? 23 years. So it has to be one of the early ones. don't know the answer but I again if I get it wrong I can't get because I think I know a two and three I don't know one who would that be that's such a long time okay an answer sir yeah um uh, Moat yes no way it was Oliver Moat yes really I'm impressed that you got that 1872 to 1896. Uh, and wow. if you like decentralization and pro- provincial jurisdiction, you can thank Oliver Mowat. He fought John A. Macdonald for provincial rights. Do you know the second and the third? I mean, Bill Davis stayed there forever. I'm not sure if he's... I'm going to say Bill Davis. And it was Bill Davis, 1971 wow. to 1985. Can you complete the sweep in Ontario? It's an old one, isn't it? Right? It's uh, the the third, because since Bill Davis, there hasn't been like a long dynasty. It's been uh, one or two. Uh... <sighs> oh, hang on, though. There was a uh, uh, pre-war. Um... Hepburn? Hepburn? No, it wasn't Hepburn. No, but he did I, stay That a was while, a, an answer to a question a while ago that you didn't get. No, it was Leslie Frost. Leslie Frost. So you have 25 and a half points, which is well above the 15 points that I gave you credit for. So if anything, <laughs> I'm the one who was wrong here. I thought you would have trouble. Well done. I am impressed. Uh, Very well done. Merci well beaucoup. Done. It, 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 it's, it's, that, was, that was hard. Uh, thing is, uh, you go with the most famous ones, right? Again, uh, yeah. you tell me 23 years, I know it's old. <laughs> I mean, what's the, long, the longest current, current premier sitting? Who is it? Uh, it's, it Legault is it 18. Is, it, it, it's, 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 it's Trudeau. Um, yeah, yeah, but premier, After yeah. Trudeau, it's... Um, ooh. It's not Mo, although his party is in power. It might actually be Mo. He was in 2018. Was Legault... Legault was... Uh, like, I think 2018 is the longest serving. Yeah. So Ford, Legault, <sighs> and Mo would be the longest. EB is very recent. Smith is recent. Smith is recent. Uh, uh, Manitoba is Canoe recent. is recent. Yeah. Um, uh, well, Doug Ford. Higgs Doug was Ford. in 2018. Doug Ford was in 2018 was in 2018. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Doug Ford yeah, was so earlier in 2018. 2018. Yes. In the Maritimes, they all changed. 
Yeah. So yeah, it might. It's that the crew of only 2018. So the longest serving premiers have only been there for six, six years. years or and less. It's Doug, and it's Doug Ford, the first one. It was it was in June, yeah. right? Wow. Yeah, I think that's true. Okay. Justin Trudeau would be the longest serving governing leader at the moment. Who's gonna Who's gonna be the longest among those uh, among that 2018 crew? Higgs, Lego, or Ooh. Ford? Oh, Ford. I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> I, Lego, I, Lego. Out of the ones who face an election in 2026, mm. uh, I would give Ford the best chance of winning. So uh, another true. two more years at least for Ford. And I'm not sure. I mean, Mo will probably end up. Mo, but we'll see. Maybe he doesn't want to stick around. Who knows? Anyway, congratulations for the. He knew his provincial premiers. He didn't need a hint. Well done. Hats off to you. And listeners, let us know how you did. <laughs> Let's let's uh, wrap this up quickly. Number of the week. I've got one thirty-seven. It's the liberal support among non-francophones in Quebec in the Leger poll. The conservatives were at twenty-nine. Maybe it's just a small thing. Maybe it's just you know a sample thing. But an only eight-point lead among non-francophones for the federal liberals yeah. in Quebec. Yeah. Hey, what? Some of the seats on the West Island. Mm, I don't know. Oh, those margins Ooh. are so high. Though I know what you're saying, though. Those margins are Maybe really Ma- high. What is it? Outremont, Mount Royal. Which one's the one the Conservatives always do? Okay. Oh, it's all. It's always Mount Royal. But thing is, they're, they're facing Anthony Housefather. There's, there's, it's not. It's mm. not. It's yeah, not you're happening. Right. But anyway, but, uh, an interesting development. Something to watch. Um, I, I'm sorry. With all that commotion, I, I don't think I, I, I have a number. Uh, my number is uh, that I had three premiers in Alberta and only two in uh, in Quebec on that poll. I'm gonna I'm gonna have two numbers of the week next week because I'm I'm too whew, emotional right now. But uh, okay, merci. All right. It was an emotional <laughs> podcast. Yeah, highs and lows. Merci. Thanks very much to everybody uh, for listening. <laughs> and of course, go to the numberspod.ca to join our Patreon. You can join our Discord. Uh, you can ask us questions for the podcast we have lots of discussions there and uh, you get your exclusive episodes every second week so we'll have one next week for our patrons only so if you want to hear it you don't want to miss it go to the numberspod.ca and philip bask in your success but also recover because i feel like it took a lot out of you <laughs> i can't believe i had mow it i uh yeah okay uh, that I'll, was I'll... a deep deep pull i was very <laughs> impressed very 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 good i i i'm proud of you I'm proud Merci of you. Merci beaucoup. Today. You know what? Next week I'm going to throw you a softball just, just for you. All right? <laughs> That's kind of an insult, but okay, sure. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Merci. <laughs> <laughs>